Yeah. <laughs> Matthew, you're making similar sounds to what you did when we when you guys won the World Series. Oh, I'm just as happy now as I was. Then. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to the 101st episode of Battery Mates. We slightly undersold the 100th episode last week, so we make more of a deal of 101 episodes of Battery Mates into our fifth season. I'm Matthew. I'm in London and I'm joined by Toby in Chicago. Hello, Hello Toby. Hello. And Kate Same in London is joining us all the way from Los Angeles. All the way from Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, all right. Well, that, that's that's your first and last go at that. We're covering. <laughs> <laughs> we're covering a lot of the globe right now. We are, we are, we are, we are, and every single bit of it is touched by coronavirus in some way. We are going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk about the fact that there's no baseball, but Kate is here because we have the roaring return of Battery Mates at the movies. We have all watched Eight Men Out. I th- I th- I've watched it for the first time. I don't know if you watched it again. We've all watched that. We're going to talk about that some more later in the episode. But we have to we have to start off uh, with some pandemic chat. Do you, do, uh, just uh, just k- k- to kick us off, every time someone on the news says pandemic, do you get uh, the wire flashbacks? <laughs> I don't. I, it doesn't sound real to me. That, that's the thing that pandemic doesn't. Like I edited it out of uh, something we were writing the other day because I was like, that, that seems a little, that seems like a little much, pandemic. But it's true. I mean, it might be not enough. <laughs> and end times. Um, mm. hmm. I'm laughing mostly because I'm uncomfortable. Just to be clear, <laughs> um, I don't know what else. To do. Oh, my my, mean... fa- my favorite bit about it on the on the on the baseball uh, media that I'm still following is how people are like podcasts and articles about you know how are we going to fit 162 games in if we're only if we're not even starting the season until May. I'm just like guys, <laughs> I don't think that's I don't think that's going to happen. I wouldn't worry too much about that. That's that's not gonna that's not gonna happen. Yeah. Uh... I'm very sad about that in particular. Kate, actually, would love to hear how you're dealing with this because we talked, our last episode was the first after this, after the baseball season has been officially postponed, or beginning of the baseball season has been postponed, and we did our whining on that episode. Um, But I, you know, the big thing for me is that, like, there is nothing to distract from everything going on. (laughs) There's, I mean, you really got to dig deep. Um, but I keep I keep gravitating back toward Twitter, and it's it's just not good. Stop. Yeah, no, I basically I've been on Twitter all day every day, and today I was like, what if I didn't do that? What if I tried just for like an experiment, not doing that, and seeing how it affects my mental health? And so far, it seems better. So I might try to continue to not be on Twitter all day every day. But yeah, I think the lack of distraction, and especially like. I know a lot of people are talking about like what shows should we be binge watching right now or what books should we be reading and obviously as a person with a book coming out in July I hugely encourage you to read but at this particular moment I personally like I don't have the attention span for much more than a tweet right now so it makes <laughs> it even harder I find and like something like baseball where you can kind of like have it attention and they're talking and you're doing something else and then there's a hit and then you're you know in and out of it like that feels like actually a really ideal kind of pace for things for right now and not not having that and particularly like my parents I know are so bummed with no sports at all and I've just been making them giant lists of movies that I think they'll like but it's rough out there man (laughs) um so Kate your book is not just a series of tweets this is this is news to me. 
there are, in fact, a lot of tweets in the book. So that's like a little a little compromise between me and you, reader. Also, I want to apologize. I don't know if you guys could hear it, but my I'm now recording from the basement and the furnace was going on for quite a while there and it was loud on my end. I really if if you're a listener at home, if it sounds like we just came out of a cocoon, um, I apologize. I mean, maybe maybe Toby's just too hot for the radio right now. Mm. No way. <laughs> one, one fun effect of coronavirus is that my jokes get worse. <laughs> that's a side effect I'm experiencing. It's not a common um, symptom, but it is. Um, <laughs> CDC says have you, look have out you for heard, it. Have you heard about um, the scale of the destruction of uh, French supermarkets? There's debris everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, c'est fromage, n'est-ce pas? <laughs> <laughs> oh, petit, petit pois, mes amis. That was a pun in French, that everybody. That's just the kind of baseball podcast <laughs> we're doing this week. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> baseball. Is, is, is anything happening with your teams? We just released Hunter Strickland. And no one has paid any attention whatsoever. So that's it. Is, is, anything, is any baseball happening? Well, it seems like getting released during the pandemic is really mean. It's a really mean <laughs> thing to do. Like, I mean, I guess they're not paying them really anyway, right? No, no. I mean, I, I think they were trying to give him a, a shot at getting on another team. I mean, that was that was the that was mm. the thinking. Um, one good thing that did happen this week was um, we had a we had a player last season called Harald Power Power. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the guy that came up with the baby shark situation, so sure. he's beloved of uh, of Nationals fans. Um, he wasn't very good at playing baseball. He was just like very very cool to have in the um, in the in the in, in, on the on the roster. Uh, so he didn't get re-signed. He's gone to play in Japan. And they are still playing in Japan. Like the coronavirus has not been quite as bad there, and um, they're just playing behind closed doors. So there's no there's no fans in the in the audience uh, in the in the stadium. They're just they're just playing at um, empty empty stadium. And uh, so Nationals fans are all just watching Japanese baseball right now because Power is playing and he's like doing some cool stuff. I've never seen Japanese baseball before, but. That's that's now my jam. Where can I watch this? I think you can watch Japanese baseball on YouTube. I think they stream it there. I I got sent a a slightly janky feed um, around Nationals Twitter earlier. I'll dig that out and send it send it your way. It's just very very weird to watch baseball with literally no fans there. Um, the only time the only other time I can think of that happening is when the do you remember when the Orioles uh, played one game? with no fans because of the uh, riot after the oh, right. police killed um, uh, Freddie Gray. Yeah. Uh, allegedly, allegedly killed him. Okay. Yeah. That's... I thought you were going to make a joke about how the Orioles have no fans. And then I was really disappointed. Sorry to go all serious. Yeah, that swung <laughs> but that was the last time I can remember that happening. Yeah. <sighs> What's the... Uh... What's the Onion article? Um, sorry. You can cut this, Toby. You can leave it in. <laughs> um, about the Marlins and their one fan, Steve. <laughs> no, I, the, I, um, so I would be okay with if we can get to the, a point where we can play baseball with no fans. I'd be fine with that. And honestly... I'd be fine with like the sports networks randomly like choosing a game for the last five seasons at random and having that game reflect in like some made up standings. So we're just kind of like the it's you know what may happen in that game in particular, but you know how the season's going to play out because it'll be 162 random games. Um, I don't know. I'm negotiating still. I'm in that phase of grief still. Um, but we've had a couple um, listeners send ideas in about how we cope in this in this time um matthew do you have the what crouppen recommended 
Oh yeah, uh, you got to give me a second to dig that well, out. I, I have you one from first I have one from Devin Brady. Um, <clears throat> had a battery mates idea. He texted me the other day. He said that Matthew, you and I should come up with our own fantasy baseball teams. Um, and by fantasy teams, he means each of us are the owners of a new baseball expansion franchise. We pick the city name, um, city the name, the jersey color, logo, stadium design, manager, expansion picks. Stadium food, everything, and um, and then we, I guess, explain those choices, and and you know maybe we play, <laughs> maybe, maybe we use, we incorporate that into what Krupen recommended as well. Um, are you ready for that? Or okay, so yeah, um, <laughs> he so. he he DM'd us this like moments after we finished recording the last episode, so it would have been in the last one. Had he in 20 minutes yeah it would have been it would have been I, I haven't actually tried to to play this yet it's no, been a I'm... busy week at work um i actually have tomorrow off work so i might spend the day doing this so this is this is his way of simulating a game of baseball you need a pencil a piece of paper and two coins i'd recommend uh two quarters but over here in the uk i'm going to use 10 pence pieces uh they're roughly similar uh, shape and weight but they have a picture of the queen on the back so that is something that's slightly different you need a standard scorecard so you get a scorecard from your book or if you don't inexplicably have a scorecard book you can google one and print it out you need to write out two lineups and then for each at bat flip the two coins there are only three possible results heads and heads the ball is in play. There's a runner on base with at least a single. Keep flipping. Every time you get a heads and a heads or a tails and a tails, add a base. Two times in a row is a double. Three times in a row is a triple. Four times in a row, wait for it. That's a home run. <laughs> when you get a heads and a tails, the play is over. Like you got an out. Oh. Right? Or the like, guy's just this, this goes... I think. Sorry? So that if you get... If you get a hit, oh sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. So if, if if you get a heads and a heads, you you're on first base and you you toss again. If it's heads and a tails, that's the end of the, like that's where you that's where you end up. If you get a tails and a tails, we're going deep into the count. That will either be a walk or a strike out. You keep flipping. Every heads is a strike. Every tails is a ball. Right. So mm. if you get a tails and a tails, then you go to one coin. And you're just trying to see how many balls and strikes there are. Hmm. Got it? Yeah. Heads and a tails on the first toss. That's an out. It go, there's 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 a there's a few other there's a few other bits and pieces in here. But basically, what this means is in order to simulate an entire game of baseball, you're gonna have to do a lot of tossing. Um <laughs> <laughs> That was a it was a good setup. <laughs> I didn't make up the entire thing in order to make a wanking. As ever, a key thing to know about this is that in England we call it, you know, tossing a coin, not not flipping a coin. I wasn't just sort of making that up for a wanking joke. But anyway, the key point here is, it obviously takes a long time. There's a lot of flipping of coins involved, and apparently Steve Coopin spent most of his childhood doing this, which explains a lot. <laughs> Yeah, um, I think that's great, and I think you know we're probably only days away from that being. I'm doing that every <laughs> night, you know. <laughs> I'm going to challenge Sean Doolittle to a game and see if he he bites. So, how do you do it with somebody else, like remotely? I guess you both have your own coins. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> Matthew, you're making similar sounds to what you did when we when you guys won the World Series. Oh, I'm just as happy now as I was. <laughs> yeah. All right, should we go, should we go to, should we go to the theater? Yeah, well, why don't we take a quick word from our sponsor and then 
you know, we got to make these sponsors happy. Yeah, like the the trailers at the beginning of a movie. That's right. That's right. You get, you can't really get to the movie until you see the trailer. Yeah. This episode of Battery Mates is brought to you by the Olive Garden, which wants to remind you that curbside pickup is currently available at an Olive Garden location near you. That's right. Not even a pandemic hellscape can prevent you from enjoying your favorite OG meal. That is, of course, unless you're like 82% of our customers who just order off the unlimited salad, soup, and breadsticks menu. Technically, we cannot offer you anything unlimited at this time. But order online right now, and we'll have it ready in no time, and bring it right out to the curb, where some say it belonged in the first place. The Olive Garden. Who's still eating us? Well, uh, thanks as ever to all of our sponsors, and this week especially. I, I want to um, be... no, Not about Olive Garden, but um, can I tell you a story about um, Cheesecake Factory? Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, until I was... Whoa, how, hang on. Uh, until I was 31 years old, I thought that the Cheesecake Factory restaurant was like a cafeteria in, in an actual factory making cheesecakes because I'd never seen one or, or been to one and I only was aware of it because of um, that comedy show where, the, where the protagon- one of the protagonists works in a Cheesecake Factory. I just thought that it was like the local factory making cheesecakes that had like a cafe cafe attached to it. And uh, it was only when I was 31 years old and I walked past one in Providence, Rhode Island, that I realized it was a, a chain of uh, restaurants um, that, that was quite significant and not, in fact, just attached to a factory making cheesecakes. But where do you think that they do make the cheesecakes? Are we sure that it's not a factory? I, I still believe that there are factories making cheesecakes, and that's how we get and cheesecakes. Under, under the wartime provisions, do we think those factories can be converted to making N95 masks <laughs> in time? A cheesecake is still, I think, a, um, a critical service. <laughs> it's a critical <laughs> service. Yeah, I just, I just, I now know that cheesecake factory restaurants are unrelated to factories that make cheesecakes they both exist but operate in a separate sort of situation i say that i really appreciate that like in these times where we're like really confined in terms of where we can go sort of like in this podcast we're really we're wide ranging we're free range (laughs) we're just we're just going anywhere and everywhere we can't be contained we can't be contained, especially when you're when you're uh, guest appearing. Um, but let's get let's get into uh, Battery Mates of the movies. We haven't done one of these in a, in a while, and when we were talking about this over text, um, and I was thinking, oh god, we did quite a few of them over the last couple of years. I wonder if what what's left out there to watch. And I realised there's like a whole bunch of really important baseball movies that we haven't we haven't dug in on. So we're going to talk about Eight Men Out tonight. Uh, this afternoon for others on this call, uh, but we're also we're gonna we're gonna we've got Major League coming up. We haven't watched sixty one yet, both of which I've never seen before and really want to watch, especially sixty one. So there's still plenty of other movies for us uh, in the in the list. What? Let's, and let's, it's, let's go to the theme song. It's kind here. of nuts. And then we'll, oh yeah, sorry Toby, go ahead. <laughs> you took a long time finding this. I had to re-download it. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. All right, so, uh, Eamon out. Um, I've just been reading the book, so the movie was enjoyable, but um, uh, there were I'd, I'd, I'd basically consumed an entire book of spoilers for for what was in the movie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, why don't we start with uh, you, Toby? Because you've you've just read the book as well. How did you how did you find the film? Is this your first time watching it? Y- yes and no. I believe I watched it when it first came out, like when I was seven or six or whatever, and didn't really understand what was going on. I, mean, I knew the story of Eight Men Out or what it was about more or less because I think I had seen 
bits and pieces of the movie before, and obviously I, I knew what happened, sort of. But that's why I wanted to read the book, because I, you know, didn't really know exactly what happened, and the Astros stuff really made it, <laughs> you know, was that the worst <laughs> thing that ever happened in baseball? And, you know, uh, it was pretty bad. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I thought the movie was really pretty well done. I mean, I don't, I don't really have any... You know, I think we'll leave the analysis of the movie to Kate here. Um, but I, um, I generally liked it. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good story, and it's good that um, people remember what happened. All right, Kate, you always have much smarter stuff to say than we we do. You 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 go ahead and, and tell us what you thought. Um, well, I had seen this movie like Toby. Some I don't know if I saw it right when it came out. I think I saw it at some point as a kid uh, with my dad and I remember being pretty bored as a child <laughs> watching this movie and I was pleasantly not bored as an adult watching it um, I would say for at least the first hour the second hour I thought it, it, it got a little slow for me and a little repetitive and it's like oh no they're gonna lose this game oh they're gonna win this game and then once we had <laughs> that cycle a couple of times I found it um, a little bit predictable. And I thought uh, that the trial at the end could have been more dramatic yeah. than it was. Um, but it sort of, it had this kind of measured tone that kind of signaled to the viewer, like, we're really interested in telling you the truth about what happened here. Um, and we're interested in not sort of over-dramatizing it or, or making it into more of a spectacle than it was but giving you a look at kind of all the different forces from you know Comiskey and was he underplaying his underpaying his players and the press and the gamblers and all the sort of different factors that uh, came into play and I really appreciated that and particularly I thought they did a really good job in act one of setting up you know if you think about just hearing the story without any context a bunch of players through the World Series to make money from crooked gamblers, it sounds reprehensible, right? Yeah. Just like a completely morally indefensible action. And in two scenes uh, in Act One of the movie, first in the scene where um, the White Sox have just won the pennant and they come into the locker room and there's <laughs> bottles of champagne waiting for them. And it's from the owner of the ball club, uh, Comiskey. And uh, the players are like, okay, are we going to get our bonuses? Because because we won the pennant and the guy's like, well, this is your bonus. And then the champagne is flat. I thought that scene was so perfect. And like right away I was on the side of the players and mm -hmm. like these guys should screw over this owner. Right. So I thought that was a really clever bit of storytelling. And then of course um, the scene with Eddie, David Strathairn's character and David Strathairn, I think is one of the best actors working in the last 30 years. He's just really, really good. Um, the scene where he goes to ask for his, bonus uh which he was supposed to receive if he won 30 games and you find out that he only won 29 games because he was benched inexplicably mm -hmm. and missed five starts for two weeks in august so that he wouldn't reach the 30 win uh benchmark and wouldn't be eligible for his bonus um and one little detail i really loved is when he walks outside out of that meeting and you can see he's making the decision to participate in the fix he walks in front of a butcher window where you see the different parts of animals are all listed on the window and sort of drawn and cut up. And it really sort of underscored this idea that for this owner and for the gamblers and even the press that these baseball players, they're not human beings. They're just a collection of body parts uh, providing profit for someone else. So I thought the movie was really, really adept at making these points about labor, right? And it made me think a lot about the NCAA and different kinds and minor league baseball and all the sort of different um, problems we have in sports where we see people making huge, huge, huge profits that the players themselves don't get to share. And so to me, that was the most effective part of the film. Yeah, I, I actually, the, the, the book is spends a lot more time on the trial. Um, and I think that they you know, there was a lot more drama in the trial than, you know, there were a lot of weird and funny and uh, kind of blow up things that happened um, in the trial. Um, I think the biggest one they do, they do cover, which is the the confessions, which they were, were you know, <laughs> improperly drawn out of the players were stolen. <laughs> That's Chicago. That's on brand. That's great. Uh, I, 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 
you, you, I, you almost can't quite believe that. If I hadn't read the book, I would. I think I might have struggled to believe that in the film, um, because like, just my immediate thought in the, watching the film today, even though I've read the book, is how on earth would they only have one copy <laughs> of a? Of, of a, of a document that important but um I, I agree with everything i mean i did not just agree but as ever um gates mentioned like three things i didn't actually notice while i was watching the <laughs> film earlier so i again i th- keep reminding myself that i should we should have these and then i watch the film afterwards because <laughs> i'd get so much more out of it but it I, the thing the thing that struck me about the the film is it was kind of it's, it's the least dramatic of the baseball films we've watched because it it just sticks very uh, rigidly to the actual story. And the actual story is fairly well known, even if you haven't read the book. And therefore, like there's no there's no there's no drama in it. Like I found the the um, the games a little bit tedious as well, because you just sort of know exactly what's happening, exactly what's happen- uh, going to come. So, you know, the kind of like, the slight attempt to build um, tension just seemed a bit silly because it's like, like God, we, we know what's happening here. You don't need to uh, pretend that there's any kind of uh, drama. But apart from that, I, I thought that um, the acting was really, really wonderful. And I just love that period in American history. I love the clothes. I love, you know, the... the um, uh, the, the the baseball stadiums I just all of all of the stuff about that I mean I spent most of the film just admiring the suits and wanting to <laughs> for it to be socially acceptable to dress like that nowadays I would love to do that but you just look a bit weird wouldn't you um I just yeah Matthew, it was I think that if there is any time where you can wear whatever the damn hell you want uh, this is the time <laughs> my brother like <laughs> shelter in yeah. place and dress like you live in the 1920s who's to know Enjoy. Yeah. I'd need to get those clothes first, though. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think if you wear the proper gloves and dispose of the boxes they come in and everything, <laughs> the world is your oyster. Order away. Economy. The book stick or the movie sticks pretty close to what actually happened, at least according to Elliot Asinoff's book. But um, one really pretty critical scene or explanation for why um, the the number two starter, Lefty Williams, is that his name? I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. was like determined to pitch a good game in game eight. <laughs> it's the nine game series is throwing me off. But yeah, they, they were, you know, the White Sox won a couple in a row and were maybe, you know, uh, gonna write the ship and maybe screw over the, the gamblers and, then uh, this uh, one of the the heavies um, from the, the gambler crew um, came to threaten Lefty Williams <laughs> by saying he was going to murder his wife, um, which uh, apparently uh, Elian Asinoff later uh, admitted he made up. He uh, dramatized um, that piece of it because he the, the explanation was he didn't want it, his book to be um, ripped off. He didn't want anybody to uh, steal from his his book, and I don't under, fully understand. <laughs> I don't fully understand that explanation, but maybe maybe Kate, you understand a little bit more of um, the legalities of of, uh, of of the written word. <laughs> I don't know. I, so he lied so as not to be plagiarized in the future. That was. I mean, this is. I've done an extensive amount of research here on my on the IMDb page. Um, Mm, good, a, good, good. There was a three-sentence trivia bit about that. So, mm. hmm. so I, I mean, that's as much information as there is, I believe, in the world. Primary source. Yeah, and sort of, you know, structurally, you understand, you know, they're they're doing their best to sort of differentiate in terms of the emotional ups and downs between these different games and sort of the first couple of games, they're obviously throwing them. And then you see the gamblers make the decision to stop paying the players. And then the players are a little bit screw you to the gamblers. And so they start winning the game. So there's that tension between the players and the gamblers. And then so 
you know, from a storytelling perspective, you need a way to resolve that tension. These two sides are fighting against each other. Who's going to win the conflict? And the way they decided to do it was to have um, gambles. Uh, the heavy, as you described him, which, uh, side note, the actor who played that particular uh, hit guy or, or whatever he was plays um, Uncle Neil on My So-Called Life, which is my favorite TV show of all time. And Uncle Neil is sort of like this laughable, like, doofus of a character. And I was like, Uncle Neil's not going to kill your wife. You're going to be fine. <laughs> um, so I had a hard time taking that scene seriously. Um, but I understood from a storytelling perspective why you would do it that way to sort of say, okay, even if these players were thinking they were going to sort of double cross these gamblers and maybe even risk their own safety to do it, ultimately, who could help but understand a character who was going to protect his wife and his family, uh, you know, for the sake of winning or losing a baseball game. Of course, I think we would all make a similar decision um, under those same circumstances. And what's the point of having female characters in a movie at all if you're not going to use them to motivate the actions of the male characters? <laughs> am I right? So, you know, that's nice that they found a way to include the storytelling. Can I ask but a question for both of you is... Um, how many times during the two hours of this film did you think about the Houston Astros? I, I would say I mean, not that many, mostly because I largely, you know, haven't been, other than the Carlos Beltran of it all, which is all very, uh, it is what it is. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> I decided that that was a, a depressing story I didn't need to involve myself in. Well, I, I didn't think about it much at the time. It was constant for me. Really? I, the, the thing that's really interesting to me, I didn't think about it much at the time, but I was trying as I was, when I was reading the book, I thought a lot about the Astros. I think maybe that's why. But I didn't know this, but the White Sox uh, only got back to the World Series once after the 1919 World Series that they, they threw. And I don't remember the year off the top of my head. Maybe it was 50s or 60s. They lost. And then they got back in 2005. So, you know, 80 what is it, 86 years later, uh, where they, when they swept who? The Houston Astros. Um, yeah. So it all comes back oh. around to the Astros. Oh. Who were the actual... And I'm not saying the, the Houston Astros through the 1919 World Series. I'm not saying that. But did they? Are they the ones being punished for? I mean, maybe they did. Um, I'm not entirely sure. Also want to point out Something that was really ever present in the book that wasn't in the movie at all was a lot of the trial was taking place in the um, run up to the 1920 pennant and the World Series. And, and so it was a, or maybe not the trial, but the grand jury investigation. And so the White Sox were actually in the race up, up uh, against Cleveland up to the very end and ended up losing it uh, as the grand jury like got a lot more intense and players started confessing and whatnot. But um, Cleveland, notably, went on to win that World Series. Uh, so I just want to, anytime I can bring that up on Battery Mace, I's, I'm going to. So this this story has got something for everyone. This is great. <laughs> Kate, Kate's got Carlos Beltran. Toby's got the 1920 Cleveland World Series. But the the, 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 the moment that the moment that I really thought of the Astros was in the um, their great scene um, where Shoeless Joe is coming out of the the grand jury and the little kid says to him say it ain't so joe yeah and i just i just think you know jose altuve that is you forever and ever little kids looking at you saying say it ain't so they did that they did that mm. i really loved um the little kids by the way as a sort of device um in the storytelling and sort of like in understanding the, the different groups of people who were impacted uh, by this whole scandal and the way it unfolded, the kids were the stand-ins for sort of every fan who just like loves the game and just wants yeah. to, you know, root for our team. And I thought that, that those kids and particularly the relationship between uh, uh, Buck, John Cusack's character and the kids um, was just really you know, I think it would have been very easy for that to cross over into just unforgivable schmaltz that really took you out of the story. And I think they came right up to the line, but for me, they didn't go yeah. over it, and I found it effective. 
that that device as a stat like you say a stand-in for like real fans was so good even i noticed it and enjoyed it <laughs> that's how that's how powerful it was how the hell did they get tickets to all those world series games though i mean come on come on that's just not that's not happening it, 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 one of the one of the kids says at the beginning he says he'd uh, been hawking uh newspaper uh, newspapers he saved up all his money to go to the game he saved up all his money to go to a game and they threw the game well, that was a regular season game that he went to then. I don't know how he was able to save all of his money to go to the World. The World Series prices were more expensive back then, even as they are today. Um, I, I don't know. I don't buy it. I'm not buying it. Uh, made it, made it out. Who's the director? Sales? Yeah, John Sales. Um, Who also, by the way, played the character of Ring, one of the, uh, the younger of the two sports writers. Oh, Oh, yeah. interesting. And that was my sort of, I often find, um, you know, I think, I think Spotlight is a little bit like this. I think there are a lot of films in which sort of writers and directors, you know, the post kind of is this as well, will really uh, find ways to glorify writers and particularly the press as like the real hero <laughs> yes. of any story. Yes. And um, it's often, it's like, you know, these spotlight it was it felt a little bit to me like these kids really survived some terrible abuse but let's talk about the real heroes the journalists who who broke it <laughs> um and i think that's a comfortable way in for a lot of people so that a little bit got under my skin um in this movie it's like okay yeah the sports writers like did do a good job figuring out what happened and breaking the story and and everything else but in a in a, a movie that really went out of its way to be quite even-handed throughout that felt a little bit like a, a thumb on the scale um and the fact that the direct the writer director of the film was was playing one of those characters was a little bit like all right i see you <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's an admission that's a, that's a confession which was stolen um the last before we, I want to know how many balls. First of all, I want to know how many balls we're supposed to give this. Um, it's been more than a year since we did one of these. Okay, is it out of four or out of five? Do you remember? I don't remember. Matthew <laughs> thinks it was out of four, but I, I don't. That doesn't sound right to me. It, it I mean, I think I think we can. I think we can make our own. It's martial law here. Let's do what we want. You know. <laughs> well, well, before we do it, so th- think about how many balls you're going to give it. Um, but. Before we do the thing, I learned something big from that movie, and it really has me shook. And that is the scenes between innings where the players would take their gloves off and throw them, drop them on the field, or throw them back out of the field. I was like, "What the hell are they doing?" I legitimately did not know that was pretty common practice in the early days of baseball. I noticed that too. I was like, "What? Take your glove to the dugout? What, yeah. Who's getting that for you?" Yeah, they just left them out there. And it's already on your hand. <laughs> it's more work for you to take it off and leave it on the field than it would be yeah. for you to simply exactly. go back to your dugout. Maybe really, they're all that poor. The owners were stiffing them so badly they couldn't afford extra gloves, or to each own a glove. Um, and I guess there was some glove sharing back then, which is gross. But um, those gloves get pretty sweaty. Sweaty leather? You're going to share that with another... Ugh. But... <laughs> sweaty leather, the name of this episode. Um, the, apparently, that, the rule didn't... Uh, Major League Baseball didn't make it a rule that you had to bring your glove into the dugout until 1954. So, wow. I want to I I know, I know what, what specifically happened in 1954. They were like, all right. We're going to write this down now. I've had enough. <laughs> 1954, by the way, a year the Cleveland Indians went to the World Series. Wow. <laughs> Fuck off, Toby. They lost. Um, so how many... Um, bo- I have I have yeah. two more oh, yeah, small go things. Go for it. So the one thing, I thought it might be interesting to just talk a little bit about the character of Shoeless Joe, since yeah. we watched Field of Dreams, and Shoeless Joe Jackson is one of the key figures of that movie um and i i want i found myself wondering because this movie didn't do a ton of work to sort of elevate shoeless joe above the other guys or sort of differentiate him if anything eddie was sort of like the closest thing we had to a structural protagonist among the players and who was making what decisions but the fact that the movie ended on shoeless joe playing baseball i wondered 
if that was a storytelling decision that was sort of whether it was grounded in the world of the script or whether that was a decision that was made because Shoeless Joe eventually became the most famous of, of the Black Sox. I don't, I don't know the answer to that beyond it's, it, it's one of, um, it, it was released in 1988 and I believe Field of Dreams is 89 and yeah. both movies, like you said, both movies kind of revolve or center a, a bit on Joe Jackson and how he was wronged. I mean, really, I mean, the rest of them were also, or several of them were wronged as well. Um, and Buck Weaver might be the, um, the most sympathetic character in this movie and, and probably in real life as well. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. That's a, Joe Jackson was clearly the better like, player. Yeah. Right. Was like Joe Jackson, the biggest star of the group. And is mm -hmm. that why he sort of, his stardom has endured or wasn't it the fact that he was wronged or the story of him not being able to read, or I was just interested in sort of how among these eight players, he became the one who pop culture has fixated on so much. Yeah, I, 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 I put it down purely to the fact that he's got the best nickname. <laughs> it's a good nickname. But the uh, Swede um, Risberg isn't good enough for you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if that's a nickname, I assume. Uh, Chip Gandal? Uh, you know, Lefty Williams? That's a pretty... Uh, a lot of people are lefty in baseball. Uh, no, I think it's Joe Jackson was definitely the best player in that group, for sure. Yeah, And would have probably would have gone on to be a Hall of Famer uh, if he would have played his full career. And that's, what, that's one of the reasons why I think there was an effort to get him unbanned for that reason, similarly to how the president wants to unban Pete Rose. Um, I mean, <laughs> yeah, well, even, a, even a broken clock, right? <laughs> um, the other thing that I noticed, so early in the film, there's this great, uh, and I encourage you if you're going to go watch it after we've talked about it, look for this scene early in the film. Uh, Joe Jackson uh, hits a triple and there's this terrific shot that stays with him as, you know, he hits the ball from home and sort of rounds the bases and the shot sort of widens and expands. So you get a sense of the whole um, field and the movement and where everyone is. And then the sh same shot narrows and you see him slide into the third. And I was like, that was just a gorgeous shot. Who was the cinematographer on this movie? And it turns out it is three-time Oscar winner, Robert Richardson, who is, you probably no best. Um, he's the longtime collaborator of Quentin Tarantino and has been working Whoa. with him since Kill Bill and has shot all of his films. Um, so there's a reason that every shot in this movie looks unbelievably good. It had an unbelievably good um, cinematographer. And that for me was one of uh, the biggest pleasures of watching this movie was just that I thought it was shot really, really beautifully. I wish you would have known that before I watched it. Um, <laughs> I'm going to pay more attention next time I watch this in 24 years <laughs> alright so how many How many? let's, let's go out of five because four balls does make sense in the sense that there are four balls for a wall but doesn't make any sense for scoring something let's go, uh, let's go out of five and you can have half balls so we're really talking about out of ten here aren't we so anyway uh <laughs> <laughs> Toby, Toby, you go. You go first. How many? How many balls out of five? I I wish I remember what I gave other movies. Because um, I don't matter. I, I just, yeah. I mean, people are. I mean, when the when they dig okay, up, we're gonna get complaints. We're gonna get a lot of complaints. So the news that I have for everyone is that nothing matters anymore. So <laughs> I think that that's a great way for us uh, to think about this. Okay. You could, if you could, if you could tell Justin Boraski that, that would be tremendously helpful. He's going to be, he's going to be furious about this scoring debacle. I'm, um, I'm going to, I'm going to give a real scandal. Let's have our own scandal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's, yeah, it's not, it's not a banging scheme, but it's something. Um, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with three and a half, three and a half balls out of five, and only because I'm only giving docking it because I. Um, I, you know, I would I would have preferred more courtroom drama, um, and I think that's the only weakness in the. So maybe four, maybe I'll give four out of five balls. I talked myself into four. Okay, uh, Matthew. I'm glad you I'm glad you went up to four because 
I, I've got three and a half, and I'm going to stick with three and a half. <laughs> I enjoyed it. It's a good movie. I will watch it again in 10, 12 years' time. Um, I, I recommend other people watching it, but it, it wasn't that memorable. It wasn't that special. Um, and, you know, it was it was a bit more factual than um, than entertaining. So three and a half for me. Okay. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry. Do you want to throw it at me again? <laughs> Eight, you're up. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. Um, I would also <laughs> say three and a half. And probably for me, it would be closer to three, but for um, the cinematography and the performance of David Strathairn, who, um, in my mind, and if you haven't seen um, Blue Car, Good Night and Good Luck, I mean, I just think that this guy is such an incredible actor and it is worth watching any film uh, where he has a leading role. So uh, for me, it would probably be three, but Strathairn and the cinematography bump it up to three and a half. Yeah, okay. You guys both made me look bad now. Um, but I, I will say this. That was my real goal. <laughs> Four balls out of five, but this is the second, only the second best uh, Charlie Sheen baseball movie. So maybe that's a... That's my, that's my, I'm, I'm just going out on a limb here. Um, and you guys have this experience thing. too. I felt like Charlie Sheen was in the movie so infrequently. And that probably speaks to like, obviously he was much less famous in 1988 than he is now, but like he would be gone from the screen for the most part for half an hour at a time. And then he would come back and I'd be like, Charlie Sheen's in this movie. Like every single time he came back, it was, it was like, I was a goldfish and had no memory whatsoever of him being in the movie. They, they apparently they they the quote um, well the director said they they cast him and John Cusack not because they were famous at the time but because they actually could play baseball and uh, I don't know how oh, true that well. is I mean uh, I mean Rick Wild Thing Vaughn looked believable to some extent in Major League so it's it's possible but um, well there you heard, you've heard it here um, the the rundown of Eight Men Out. Uh, I'm just glad we we had some baseball to watch, even if it was literally a hundred years old. Um, and I do think we should do a public service announcement that eight men should not be out right now. Eight men should be staying at home. (laughs) Everyone should be staying at home. Oh, but groups under 10. (laughs) (laughs) Depends on where you are. And I suppose even in the infield, there were, you know, generally six feet between them. So, you know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Don't share a glove. Don't share your gloves with anybody. Um, wash no. your hands. <laughs> wash your hands. Um, it, it is really poetic that we covered a movie um, that ends with getting banned from baseball <laughs> right now. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Well, I, we have anything else for this episode, Matthew? I think that's that's the episode. We are going to record again in a few days' time. We're going to take on the first of our historical lookbacks at moments from baseball um in lieu of actual baseball happening we're gonna uh first one up is the demolition derby um which we've talked a little bit about before but we're gonna dig in on and enjoy uh we're still looking for recommendations for other baseball moments that people want us to go back and watch i'm especially enthusiastic about um full innings i watched a a, the full uh ninth inning of the Mets at Nationals last year when the Mets scored five runs in the bottom in the top of the ninth and then the Nationals walked it off with seven runs in the bottom of the ninth. <laughs> so moments like that, I'm not saying I'll just because Kate's on, but moments Are like you that. Are just definitely... trying to make my quarantine worse? Is that what's happening? <laughs> yeah, I mean I would definitely recommend watching that unless you're Kate or any other Mets fans. Um so we're looking for recommendations, uh, moments from baseball, especially in the 90s or 80s before I was interested. Um, send those in and we'll get to those straight after the Demolition Derby. Toby, I don't know when we're going to record that, but we can we can compare calendars when yeah. we're not recording live. Uh, <laughs> in the meantime, is well, there anything, any, any parting shots? I was going to say, um, Kate, where can people find you on the internet and on um, what do you, you already kind of, there's already a plug, but maybe you can plug some more on your book oh yeah um so my book is called one to watch um it is coming out july 7th you can get it anywhere books are sold but particularly at this moment in time i would really encourage you to go on indiebound and order 
order it, pre-order it from your local indie bookstore because that's money that they see right now. Um, and then they'll give you the book later, which is so important for them. So uh, I would definitely encourage you um, if you're interested in a book that has very little baseball, but a lot of like dates and twists and turns. <laughs> uh, so if that's stuff that you're interested in, um, you might like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and on Twitter, I'm underscore KSL, uh, a person who I'm not very close friends with emailed me last night to be like, I saw your tweets and I just wanted to check in and see if you're doing okay. So that's a preview <laughs> of the kind of content I've been doing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, um, that's great. Well, we're going to have one of these soon, uh, another one of these soon, you know, for as long as there's no baseball, there will be battery, battery mates at the movies. So um, can't um, wait. Can for I that. suggest another yeah. terrible inning of in that's history for you guys to watch <laughs> um so september 30th 2007 um and if you can and in 2006 the mets had an incredible playoff run uh almost made it to the world series it was just a really great time for the club and then in 2007 had just a really uh the the headline from the new york times from october 1st 2007 which was my birthday is mets complete stunning collapse um and the photograph uh that accompanies that article <laughs> is a plus 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 i really encourage you to go <laughs> but on September 30th, 2007, we had a, a one-game playoff uh, to make it into the playoffs, into the postseason. And Tom Glavin went out there in the first inning and fucked it up as badly as any human being has ever fucked up anything, including maybe how badly President Trump is fucking up this coronavirus response. And it's, uh, it's a thing to watch. So if you can get your hands on it, I recommend that inning to really encompass the full experience of being a Mets fan. He really left you Williams for that. <laughs> I honestly, I fucking hope somebody threatened Tom Glavin's wife because that may not be an acceptable reason for the way that he pitched that day. Former shot steward Tom Glavin, who I really stand for a lot in my life. That was a tough day to be a Mets fan. Well, I'm really glad we did that. Holy shit. <laughs> All right. Good stuff. We just rewarded the six people who hung on to the end there. Um <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, until until we're all together again, uh, Matthew. I think. Do you have any advice for Battery Rates Nation? Well, thank you, Toby. I I, I would advise everyone, um, insofar as is safe to do so, in confined spaces, uh, staying at home, people should check those balls. Wash your hands. Check those balls.